you would, turn in your bulletins to Isaiah 60, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 43 today. <clears throat> We're continuing, as I've already said, this second Sunday of Epiphany, which we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. The baptism of Jesus. And so, if you would, just follow along. I'm going to read this passage, and then we're just going to walk through it and see what the Lord would have us learn from this passage. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who forms you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in exchange, or I'm sorry, in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. There are two commands in this passage. Just two. Fear not. You see that in verse 1, right? Fear not. For I have redeemed you. And then you see it again, the same words, but a second command. Fear not, in verse 5. See, Israel is commanded, and you and I are commanded two times to not fear. And so we're going to spend a lion's share of our time considering what this understanding of fear and anxiety and worry that every single one of us has. So buckle up. Every single one of us in this congregation struggles with fear and anxiety and worry in some capacity. So Israel is commanded two times, just like you and I are commanded two times, to not be afraid. Why? Because we forget, right? But but below that, why do you and I forget? Why do we forget these things that we know? Because we're oftentimes distracted. We're distracted from what is true and what is eternal and what is real. Why are we distracted? Because we oftentimes take our experience in life as junky and troublesome as it can be, and we begin to think that that has priority over what we know to be true in Scripture. So we're, we forget. And so we have to hear it twice, the same command, over and over And over again, we're like the child who is scared that there's a a little monster under its bed. And they're told time and again, there's no monster under your bed. And then the father lifts up the, the bed and shows the kid that there's no monster under the bed. And then the father crawls under the bed, pops his head on the other side and says, hey, I'm still here. There's no monster in the bed. You're safe. 
And yet the kid persists in being afraid. And that's how you and I are when we're afraid. We know what's true and God has shown us what's true. And he's peeped his head out on the other side of our beds and we still are anxious and worrisome and afraid. You say we can we can laugh at the little child that continues to be scared at night. But Israel, Israel had her fears, too, right? They were questioning, would will we be in exile forever? Will we ever get to go back home? Will we be slaves forever? You see, if you uh, just do a quick Google search on fears, there's a. There's a whole slew of fears, right? There's, there's arachnophobia, fear of spiders, acrophobia, fear of heights, uh, claustrophobia, fear of closed spaces. Then there's wonderful things like ablutophobia. Have you ever heard of that? Ablutophobia is a fear of bathing yourself. I don't know uh, anyone yet who has struggled with that, but there's a fear of that. There's a fear of nomophobia, which is a fear of not having cell phone service. There is a fear of, of new things called neophobia. If you're scared of something new and you don't want to change, you've got neophobia. But then there's always the fear of death, fear of snakes, and the fear of public speaking. So there are a couple layers here that I want to get to at this idea of fear and worry. All these fears, whether they be crazy or whether they be something every single one of us struggles with, all of these have several different layers to them. It's a desire for control. When you and I are fearful about something, we want to control something or someone. We want to understand something or someone. We want to to know the future. We want to know all of the intricacies And the Lord reminds you and me that that's not meant for us to know or that's not meant for us to understand and that's not meant for us to control all the time. In fact, some of us would say, Matt, you don't know what you're talking about. I love scary movies. I love I love going to the movie theater. and I love being scared. I'm not one of those people and I never will be one of those people uh, for various reasons, but mainly because I want to hit somebody who's scaring me. So don't try to scare me. Uh, after the service today because I may hit you. So I can't do that in a movie, but I would, I would venture to say the reason you love scary movies and a scary novel is because it's you trying to control the fears that you have. I'm not going to do a psychoanalysis or anything like that, but you can always shut the book. You can always leave the theater. You can always close your eyes. But I'm talking about a fear that you can't walk out of the movie theater. I'm talking about a worry and an anxiety that grips you And that controls you and that won't let go. It's a fear and an anxiety and a worry that you have, if you're honest, in the dark watches of the night. That your kids won't be safe. A fear that you may not be able to pay your bills. A fear that your retirement's going to run out. A fear that you're going to lose function of your body. You're going to become paralyzed. Or a fear of not being loved or not being accepted. Not being respected, not being valued by other people. Any of those resonate with you? A few of those resonate with me. That's why I got them on a list. There's fears that we have. You know, imagine, imagine this: that as we're meeting at this very moment, there are terrorist attacks in the United States. Imagine that we walk out of these doors and we hear, "Oh my goodness, there were bombs all over our city." What would you do? You'd probably run home and get your guns. 
And you probably hunker down and you say, I'm not going outside. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm not getting on the Internet. I'm just going to hunker down and just wait because these folks are coming to get you and they're going to take you to their country and they're going to assimilate you into their culture. That's exactly what Israel was dealing with. And they had every right to be afraid. Just like you and I would be afraid. They're not any different than us. But see, our fears don't have to be that dramatic, though. I don't want to paint a picture that all this fear is gripping us to where we're paralyzed. Because that's not really how day-to-day fear operates. You see, we operate out of fear throughout the day, don't we? In fact, even just this last week, I, was, I had a pit in my stomach uh, because I, forgot, I thought I might have forgotten to lock my door in the parking lot. And I was like, oh man, somebody's going to get in there and steal my computer. Uh, Even just this week, I was fearful and got angry at work because I didn't know of a certain situation that was going to happen. So I got angry out of fear of not knowing, not controlling a situation. That's how our fears operate, isn't it? It doesn't have to be something where we have sleep apnea or, 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 or some kind of abnormal sleep patterns. It doesn't have to be something where we are just so scared we won't go outside. That's not typically how we operate in our fear. So let let me help with a few diagnoses to help maybe pinpoint some fears. And and, uh, here are some questions that you can ask yourself when fear rears its ugly head every single day in the bright light. So do you have sometimes do you have um, um, a racing mind? You just can't settle down or a pit that comes in your stomach or butterflies that come in your stomach. We oftentimes talk about, I'm just really stressed out right now. That could be a symptom of anxiety, fear, worry, anger. That's typically how I act out my, my worry and my fear is by getting angry with something or someone. Fidgeting with your phone. If you're in a checkout line, you automatically grab your phone. You're checking it out because you got what's called FOMO or fear of missing out on something. You're afraid that something's happening out there on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and you just need to know and so you're, you're fidgeting with your phone. Maybe that fear and anxiety manifests itself in sadness, depression, melancholy. Maybe it manifests itself by having nightmares or being overprotective of your children or your spouse. Because he or she won't do what you want them to do. So you're fearful. And some of you may say, well, you know, Matt, actually, you know, for the contrarian out there, because I'm sure there are some that would say, you know, Matt, sometimes fear can be a good thing. Yes, fear can be a good thing. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the kind of fear that says, don't walk down that dark alley by yourself. That's not what I'm talking about. That's, That's a good fear. That's a good fear. I'm talking about a fear that grips you when you don't have to walk down an alley by yourself. When you do yell at your coworker or your friend, when you do clam up and get frustrated, take a roll your eyes. Those are manifestations of fear and anxiety and worry, my friend. And none of us are exempt from it. And so that's why God says to Israel in the midst of this exile, and he says to you and me, fear not. See, this is a fear that weakens our resolve to act. Because if we do that, then people are going to say something. People are going to think unkindly of us. A fear that makes you treat other people as though they are a means to the end that you want to accomplish. So we have to remember 
That at the root, this is the second layer, right? So we, we want control, we want to understand, we want to know something. But even below that, reveals what we truly value. What do we truly value? What do we really, really, really want? And that's what can be manifested here as well. If I don't get that, I'll be afraid of that. If I, if I don't have that, I'll be fearful. If I don't have that paycheck, if I don't have that promotion, if I don't have that, then I'll fear and I'm afraid and I worry and I get anxious. And so what do we want? What are the things that we want? Well, we want comfort. We want love. We want approval. If we struggle with fears about money, we want to know that we're valuable, that my paycheck is just as valuable as yours, that we want acceptance or we want provision. We want to know that everything's going to be taken care of. Maybe we're afraid that we're going to lose something that's really valuable to us or someone that's really valuable to us. See, our, all, too often times we believe that we have control of the outside world. Control and certainty are myths that you and I too often times believe. Too often times we believe that if I worry enough, then that out there that hasn't even happened yet is going to be taken care of. So if I can just think about it more and more and more, it's going to change. That's not the way the world works. And so worry has become like a little rabbit's foot that you rub. And you're like, if I can just worry, if I can just get anxious, if I can just think through this, all these different scenarios, then that won't bother me so much. Friend, the only thing that you have control over is yourself, your thoughts, your heart, your actions. You can't control what your coworker says and does or what your spouse doesn't say or doesn't do. So... Stop giving in to the myth that you actually have something to control outside of yourself. Because, and this is the root, this is the, the rock bottom at root why we are fearful, anxious, and worried. Our desire for control and certainty, yes, that stems from desires, wants that we have. But even below that, and I've alluded to this, but even below that, when you and I struggle with worry and fear, we are desiring to take the place of God himself, who orchestrates, who controls, who in fact knows all things. We presume, you and I, when we are fearful, anxious, and worried, we presume that we know what's best. And that this is the way it should go. We presume that it's best for me to have that job, or that spouse, or a spouse, a certain kind of child or a certain kind of life. And so we get angry, we get frustrated when it doesn't happen for me. See, because worry, fear puts the focus on me, what I want. And so we opt for self-protection instead of trust. We opt to ruminate and think through it instead of acting even though our knowledge will always be imperfect. We think a lot about something, but never execute on what we know we should do. Oh, I know I should do that, but it's too scary to do it because I don't know what will happen if I do that. And the Lord says to you and me, he says, fear not. 
Fear not. Don't operate out of fear anymore. You see, in our passage, we're going to see that God provides for us even before we've recognized our own need. He provides for us not only before we even know we have a need, but he provides for us even now when we don't even know we have a need. Did you just think about taking a breath? The Lord just provided your breath for you. He provides for you at all times, whether we acknowledge it or not. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Stop being fearful and anxious and worried. I'm God. You're not. Know your role. The Lord gives us in his grace a lot of reasons why we shouldn't fear. A lot of reasons. So first of all, we see the Lord's power. That's one reason that we see in our passage. You see this in verse 1. Verse 1. I always get a little tickled uh, when I watch some of these movies. I can't remember the exact movie right now because uh, I don't want to embarrass anybody um, that this may be their favorite movie. But, you know, the, the little scrawny guy who says to the girl that he loves, he says, I will find you. I will save you. And, and, and he has to go into like an army of thousands of people, that little scrawny guy with no weapons. And he somehow miraculously in this movie finds the girl and brings her back home. I think it's I think it's a little funny. You may not. I don't see any smiles, so I'm going to keep moving. But I think it's funny that this scrawny little man thinks that he can actually do something, that he has got the strength and the power to conquer thousands of people who with one snap of the fingers can kill him. But we love that story, don't we? We love that story. You see, here at the edge of exile, this is what Israel is struggling with. All they see around them is a thousands upon thousands of Babylonians who are on their doorstep coming to take them away. And the Lord says, you don't see me, but don't fear. Don't be afraid. Let me remind you why you shouldn't be afraid. Verse 1, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. I am the one who created you. I am the one who formed you. He's taking them all the way back to his word that's, that created everything that they, say, they see, even the Babylonians. And the Lord's saying, I created you, O Jacob. I formed you. I didn't just say, let there be, but I took this land that you inhabit. And I shaped it and fashioned it. And I took you, O Jacob, and I shaped you and I fashioned you. Like a potter fashions the clay, I put my fingerprints on you and I shaped you. Don't forget that. Don't forget that I made you and I'm shaping you into the kind of vessel that I always created you to be before you were even born. While you were still in your mother's womb, I decided your hair color. I decided your eye color. I decided your skin color. I am the God who created you and formed you to be the exact person that you are, Jacob. Why else are we not to fear? Look at verse 2. The Lord's provision. The Lord's provision. Verse 2. Actually, I'm sorry. It's actually the second half of verse 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. This is the term 
If you're familiar with the biblical story of Ruth and Boaz, that Boaz was the redeemer of Ruth. And what did he do? Ruth had lost her husband and he went to Ruth and he took her under his wing and brought her to his house. And everything that he had now became hers. That's what the Lord is saying. Everything I have is yours. Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have taken you under my wing. You are mine. You are mine. We see the Lord's compassion. Another reason. The Lord's compassion and intimacy. Right? I have called you by name. You are mine. The Lord didn't just create a whole mess of people. He created individuals. Every single person in here looks different. And that's by God's divine right. He knows you. He knows your struggles. He created you. He called you by your name. The Lord knows your name. The Lord knows what you're wrestling with. And he still says to you, come to me, Matt. Come to me, Johnny. Come to me, Susie. I called you by name. You're not just some kind of mess of people that I got to redeem. I am redeeming you and you and you. You are called by name by the omnipotent creator and fashioner of all that we see. You're not walking alone. You're not struggling alone. You see, we see this intimacy played out in our trials. Remember last week we talked about our darkness and how the Lord, even though it's just a flicker, the light shines in the midst of the darkness. We see that the Lord's presence is another reason he gives us not to be afraid. The Lord's presence. The Lord's presence. Look at verse verse, uh, 2 again. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I will be with you. Notice it doesn't say, hey, if you uh, just give your life to Jesus or if you just claim to want to walk with Jesus, then you won't have to pass through the waters. You won't have to go through the fire. You won't have to go through the rivers of pain. You won't have to go through suffering and sorrow. No, he says, when you pass through the waters, when you walk through the fires, I will be with you. This is similar to what Jesus said to his disciples, isn't it? Because what do we see here? He says, they won't overwhelm you. The fire won't burn you. The flame won't consume you. What is Isaiah getting at? Is that just a, is that just a nice way for him to comfort? Hey, man, it's going to get better. Don't worry. No. He's not giving them some kind of pie in the sky type, type of comfort. He's not saying it's going to get better. Well, it may get worse. You don't know that. So Isaiah, what is Isaiah doing? He, he's, he's challenging them to think a little deeper. You're going to pass through fire. So what are we getting at here? Is Jesus merely giving his disciples some kind of fake comfort? Before he ascended into heaven in Luke 21, Jesus said this. He, he was saying, hey, just be aware of this. There's going, to become, there's going to come persecution. There's going to come suffering. Get ready for it. Don't be surprised. If they persecuted me and if they killed me, they're going to do the same to you. So what does Jesus say in Luke 21? He says, 
they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. He's again, he's talking to his disciples, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be, listen to this, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. See, there's a greater greater purpose in their suffering, a greater purpose in their going to jail and prisons and synagogues, right? He says, you will be delivered up even by parents who are going to betray you and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake. Listen here, this is, this is the, the parallel here that I'm drawing here between here and Isaiah. You will be hated, you will be put to death, verse 18 of Luke 21, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. What is Jesus saying and what is Isaiah saying? Because every single one of Jesus' disciples except John, he was exiled on Patmos, right? But every single one of his disciples was killed Because of that name. But Jesus said, not a hair of your head will perish. Maybe Jesus just didn't know. I don't don't think you want to go there. So what is Jesus getting at? What is Jesus getting at? Jesus says, not a hair of your head will perish. See, Jesus had in mind a perishing, a consumption that was far greater than this life could ever do to his disciples and could do to you and to me. There is a perishing, there is a death that is worse than dying. That is being forsaken by the one who created us and formed us, who called us by name. That, my friends, is far worse than having our hair singed, having our flesh burned, having been crucified by the world and betrayed by friends. That's what Jesus had in mind, and that's what Isaiah has in mind, that when you pass through the waters, when you go through suffering for my name's sake, you won't ultimately perish. There is a a death worse than death. The Lord gives another reason in verse 3. The Lord's purpose. The Lord's purpose behind all of this. Look at verse 3. For I am the Lord... Your God. This is the covenant name. I am Yahweh your God. I am the Lord your God. You see all this, all this idolatry in Babylon. You see all this idolatry in Greenville, South Carolina. But I, my friends, am the covenant-keeping God who laid down his life for his sheep to win you to myself. I have a greater purpose in all of this. And it's not just your comfort right now. My greater purpose is over... And far reaching than your difficulties right now. If you'll have eyes to see it. It doesn't deny or negate our suffering and our pain. It actually puts it in its proper place. It actually puts it in its proper place. I'm the one who stooped down. I heard your cries in the midst of Egypt. I heard your cries in Babylon. And I have called you by name. And I have redeemed you out of Egypt. Don't forget that, Israel. Don't forget that, Christian. I heard your cries and I answered. But, verses 5 through 7 give us a bigger purpose. So the Lord gives us a purpose to not fear. But then he gives us a bigger purpose in verses 5 to 7. 
Look at this. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, so God's going to bring Jews from the east and from the west in the place of Babylon. Oh, that's awesome. He's going to bring it from the north and from the south. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And yet we see in this story, later on in, in Isaiah 43, I would encourage you to read that later. But then we see it at the end of Isaiah, in Isaiah 66, that the ones who are called by God's name are not merely Jews. They're not merely those who are genetic offspring of Abraham. They are all those who have called on God. And so God is comforting them with a bigger purpose. Now, let me, let me get this logic very clear right now. If the Lord brings Jews from the east, from the west, from the north and the south into the promised land, that can only bring temporary comfort. What the Lord has to do is he has to take all people, because the reason why it brings temporary comfort is because those same people, Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, any other superpower that comes into power, they can come back to the land of promise and they can take them away again. And you got the cycle all over again. But the Lord says that won't happen. Why? Because I will make Egyptians believe in the covenant keeping God. I will, in fact, bring Babylonians into the mix. There will be a highway between Egypt and Babylon. And in that highway, they will flock to the land of promise. And so the Lord is saying that the purpose is not merely just to save Israelites. The purpose is much bigger to save Gentiles that we looked at last week. That's what can bring comfort is when the enemies of God are made friends of God. Bring my sons and my daughters from the ends of the earth. From the ends of the earth. And not only does the Lord reconcile them, but he reconciles us one to another. Sons and daughters, brothers. And sisters, that's the Lord's purpose, and that's what's supposed to bring us comfort. The Lord says, don't be afraid, because I've got bigger, grander schemes than what your little mind can conceive. But what's underneath all these reasons that I just gave, that we see here in Scripture? Verse 4, God's love. That is the undergirding principle of all of these purposes. Love. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. That serves as the ground upon which this entire argument is built. His love and his comfort are the only thing that will bring you ultimate love and ultimate comfort that you seek. It will be the only thing that will sustain you, my friend. God's love. God's comfort. No one and no thing in this world will ever comfort you. So you will continue to strive as long as you kick against the goads of God. While you were still drowning. And while you are drowning. The Lord says, I love you. I care for you, I honor you, and I am with you. I'm with you. Isn't this what Jesus' baptism is all about? Jesus passed through the waters of suffering. 
That's the picture we're supposed to get. The one who created us, the one who formed us by the word of his power, he passed through the waters, the waters of abandonment by his friends, the waters of being misunderstood by those who had spent years with him, being slandered, being mocked. The only righteous one was called unrighteous for our sakes. He passed through those waters. He is passing through those waters in which you find yourselves right now. He's passing through the fire with you. I am with you. Why? Because I really love you. And and many of us this morning need to be convinced that God loves you. Yeah, sure, we can know that God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God orchestrates these things. God is, is in control. Yes, we can say that. Yes and amen. But so many of us, and how many of us, struggle with the fact that God loves you. He looks at you and he doesn't hold his nose up. He doesn't, he doesn't walk away. God knows not only what you know about yourself, but he knows far more about your heart than you do. And he still calls you by name. He says, you're mine. Come to me. I love you. I want to honor you. You are cherished. You are prized. There is nobody else that I see other than you. And when that grips our hearts, then we'll jump. Then we'll go into the unknown. We'll go to the places where people may persecute us, may slander us, may say all kinds of evil against us. Because it doesn't matter, does it? it? It then doesn't become about other people and other situations. It becomes about me and God and reckoning with the Almighty who loves us. He's not going to abandon us, friends. We may die, but death is not dying. This physical death is not dying. These sufferings, these light and momentary afflictions will not break you. Ultimately, they may break you right now and you may feel like you cannot take any more and the weight is crushing your chest. And the Lord says, that's the moment that I will meet you because I love you. Because I love you. I love you when you pass through the waters. So what will cure our anxieties, our fears, and our worries? What's going to cure it, my friends, is a greater and more supreme passion and love than what we love right now. A love that transcends our fear of other people. A love that grips our hearts and gives us courage to do what we're afraid to do. What we know we need to do. You see, we can look at the overwhelming waters. And because we know that God loves us, we can jump in. It's like the child who's on the edge of the boat. He sees the ocean, but he sees his dad treading water. He says, jump, I've got you. Jump, I got you. But But the waves are overwhelming the boat. But the dad says, jump, I've got you. And that's the picture. That's the picture that Isaiah and that Jesus want us to see. You see, the love he has is always meant to point towards a greater love. A greater love found at Calvary. A greater love where God says, I will secure you in my arms on Calvary. 
because I love you. And that love is seen as more valuable than anything that you could ever have in this life. And that love is made real in the midst of your suffering. When you're able to say, cancer, cancer is horrible. But Jesus is better than life. Jesus is glorified as the ultimate joy and comfort in our lives when we're willing to risk our reputation. When we're willing to say that our lives are just a mere drop in the bucket of the love of God. Let me close with this. I'm really afraid of snakes. I don't like snakes at all. I don't. If I see a snake, I'll either run or yell or grab a shovel. Even if it's a nice black snake, rat rat snake that will eat other snakes, I don't care. If it's a snake, I'm scared of it. Okay? Let's put that up there. I was was convinced to take my children to a thing called Snakes Alive at the local library. In case you don't know what Snakes Alive is, uh, there is a, uh, I think he's called a herpetologist, uh, who has snakes. He collects snakes. He has a whole, like a, a, a locker of snakes, probably from here to that wall, I'd say. A very, a lot of snakes. One is a lot. This one, this guy had about 30. And so he asked for volunteers, and my three beautiful children, actually my four, I guess Hayes was with it. So our four, my four beautiful children turned around and said, Daddy, will you volunteer? I was like, no, I think there'll be other people that'll volunteer. I'll, I'll just let that be. They looked at me, and they said, please, Daddy, please volunteer. And I was like, okay, because I love you, I will volunteer to hold a snake. And so I went up there and I held the snake. I held another snake. I held two or three snakes. And then all of a sudden he wheels out a huge chest. You know what's coming. He, came, he, he rolled out a huge chest of a 20 foot long python. I think his name was Herbert. And he says, okay, I need all of you all to hold a piece of Herbert in your arms. And I got a picture to show this. Why was I able to hold that snake? I actually wasn't that scared, was I, kids? Not too much. You were terrified. I was. Why was I able to hold that? Because I trusted, I trusted the guy. I knew that those snakes would not harm me because why? He said they wouldn't harm me. He said, and I asked him a little later. He said, "Yeah, we've had a couple times people gotten bit, but not a big deal." But you know what? That would have been okay too. Because I trusted him. I could hold a snake. I could go into something that is my greatest fear and say, I can do this. Because I trust the one who's given it to me. So whatever the fear and anxiety that you're struggling with, welcome it as God's grace to you to say, I am with you and you can overcome it. By the power of the gospel, because Jesus himself, in that, he's undergone every kind of suffering and even more. And the Lord says, I love you. Know that when you hold this, when you endure this, it's not because I'm away from you. It's not because I'm absent. It's because I am with you that I'm asking you and I'm telling you and I'm making you go through that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not just told us to not fear twice, but you've given us many, many reasons, your purposes, 
Your grander purposes of, of redemption of men and women and children. Of your great intimacy and compassion for us. Your power. Lord, we pray that you would remind us of these reasons that we need not fear because you are with us. You've called us by name. We are yours. We belong to you, even our sufferings, even our fears. We pray this in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.